Father in heaven, we're here in your presence. We've already been ministered to. We've already gotten to sing songs about how wonderful you are. We've gotten to celebrate what has been done by our veterans. We've gotten to look at scripture already. And God, as we dig a little deeper in scripture, we ask that you would touch our hearts in a fresh way. I ask, Father, that you would enlighten our hearts, as Paul prayed, that you would open our understanding that we could see you more clearly, and through that, that we could receive your Spirit more deeply and be empowered for the incredible work that you have set before us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You imagine the terror in Stephen's heart as he walked into his house. He thought it was just a normal day, but he walked into his house. He walked into the front living room, and there was his mom. She, had lay, she was laying unconscious on the floor. We don't know exactly what happened to Lindy, but Lindy was completely unconscious. He rushed over to her, shook her, tried to see if she was okay. There was no response, so he immediately called the paramedics. The paramedics came, and they took Lindy to the hospital. Lindy was put into a coma. She was put on life support there in the hospital. But Lindy wasn't responding. They were afraid that she was brain dead. And day after day passed by. You can imagine the terror in the hearts of the family. Wondering, would she wake up from this coma? Or was this the end for Lindy? As a week went by, hope began to fade. The doctors began to tell them that there's no hope she's brain dead, it's, this isn't going to work out. Last few days go by, was, went on 10 days in a coma, it's going to the 12th day, they were going to pull the plug. Family members were coming by and they were going up to her and saying their final goodbyes. Her husband whispered in her ear, keep fighting, keep fighting, you are a fighter. Nobody knew, but Lindy could hear her husband. Lindy, that entire time, could hear the conversations about pulling the plug and about what about to take place. Do you know that your brain is essential to your body? <laughs> that you cannot function without your brain? That, that you cannot go forward in life without what sits between your ears? And I believe this may be why Paul takes us in the direction that he does when he talks about the body of Christ. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul, he's going to be talking more about the body in chap- chapter 4. We've looked at it a little bit. We'll look at it a little bit more today. But in Ephesians chapter 1, he says something essential about what Jesus is to you and I. Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll pick up the story in verse 15, because I think this is a prayer that that God is longing to pray for what might seem like a brain-dead church. I'm not just talking about our church, but but the Seventh-day Adventist church, Christianity in general, around the world, there's growth. But in the United States, we're suffering, we're dying, we are not growing in the way that the gospel should be going forward. I believe Paul might be praying a prayer like this for us. 
Verse 15, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. If only Lindy's eyes could just open or, or just blink so that they knew that she was conscious, but she had to be completely brain dead. Paul's praying, if only the Ephesians' eyes could be open, if only the understanding of their eyes, if, if only, he's writing to you too, if only you could grasp the gospel, everything would change for us. It would be totally different for us. If only the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things, okay, this is a key verse for us, he put all things under his feet and gave him to be what? Head over all things to the church, which is his body. He put all things under his feet, and he gave him to be head. Paul describes this several different times in the New Testament, that Christ is the head of the body. We learned last week that every part of the body is essential. We learned last week that a part of the body cannot survive unless it's connected to the body. And that we are the body of Christ. And so if we're not baptized into the body of Christ, if we're not actively engaged in the body of Christ, if we aren't working together, pressing together in that friendship like we learned that Philip and Luther had, if we don't press together like that, if you missed last week's sermon, they're all on the website. You can go there and we also have the Church Link app. If we don't press together as a body, can you think of a part of your body, maybe you thought of it since last week, that can survive without being attached to your body? All of our organs need to be attached to the body, and it's the same way with you and I. We might think, well, I can just follow Jesus on my own. It doesn't work that way. We've got to be together. We've got to press together. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, let there be no schism in the body, no separation, because a body can't survive unless it is working together. So here he says, there's a body, and and that body is the church, but the head of the body is Jesus. The head isn't some leader in the church. The head isn't the, the Pope. The head isn't the whatever you might think. The head isn't the pastor of our church. The head is who? Jesus. Jesus is the head, it tells us here clearly. Now, the brain is a phenomenal thing. There's a a neurosurgeon who gained some fame recently by running for president. That's neurosurgeon Ben Carson. And I was watching some things where he was talking about the brain. The brain, your brain, what's up here, has billions and billions of neurons, hundreds of billions of interconnections. Your brain can process more than 2 million bits of information in one second. You know, with all of our work with computers, we've fallen short of mastering what the human mind can master. 
It doesn't, for, ben Carson goes on to say, it doesn't forget anything you've ever seen or heard. Wish he could recall it easily, right? <laughs> Wish that we had better memory of what's stored up there. The human brain, he goes on to say, is the most magnificent organism in the universe. And then he said something very fascinating. He said, how many of you remember your birthday? So I want to ask the same question to you. How many of you can remember your birthday? Raise your hands. I'm hoping that this will be unanimous. I don't see everybody's hand raised. It's a good exercise. We need to, to move around a little bit in church. How many of you remember your birthday? Those of you who don't, maybe we can figure out something for you later on. But here's the deal. What just took place in your brain? Ben Carson describes it like this. He says, The sound waves had to leave my lips, travel through the air into your external auditory meatus, travel down to your tympanic membrane, and set up a vibratory force which traveled across the ossicles of your middle ear to the oval and round windows, generating a vibratory force in the endolymph, which mechanically disrupts the microcilia, converting mechanical injury to an energy to electrical energy, which traveled across the cochlear nerve to the cochlear nucleus at the pontomedullary junction, from there to the superior olivary nucleus, ascending bilaterally up the brainstem through the lateral lemniscus to the inferior colliculus and the medial geniculate nucleus, then across the thalamic radiations to the posterior temple lobes to begin the auditory processing. From here to the frontal lobes, coming down the tract of Vic de Azur, retrieving the memory from the medial hippocampal structures and the mammillary bodies, back to the frontal lobes to start the motor response at the vet cell level, coming down the cortis corticospinal tract across the internal capsule into the cerebral pundicle, descending into the cervicomedullary decussation, I'm probably slaughtering all this, into the spinal cord, gray matter, synapsing and going out into the neuromuscular junction, stimulating the nerve and the muscle so you could raise your hand. Isn't that phenomenal? And he went on to say, this is the simplified version of what your brain does in order to answer a simple question and raise your hand. Your mind is constantly keeping your heart beating, your lungs breathing, your body functions because your mind is at work. And Paul says, the head of the body is Jesus. There's no other head of the body. Jesus Christ himself is the only one who can give you the instructions for how to be a functioning organ in the body of Christ. There's no one else who can tell you what your gifts are than Jesus. Now, you'll notice on the back of the study guide, there is a survey there that gives some good biblical ideas of what might be your giftedness. So you can go ahead and go to that website and you can fill out that, or print it out and fill out the survey and get some good ideas of what might be your giftedness. But only Jesus is the head. Only Jesus can tell you what your place is in the body. Only Jesus can keep the body functioning. Only Jesus can keep us from dying. But are we brain dead today? Are we connected to Jesus? Do we have this connection that Paul is talking about? Are we intimately connected with Jesus? Because look at what Jesus wants for us. Back in Ephesians chapter 1. It says, we read verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. He's the one that organizes, that controls, that guides, that directs our church. 
which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Sometimes we skip over little parts of the Bible like this and say, yeah, that's great. Do you realize what he's saying? Saying the fullness of him that fills all in all. Jesus is on a mission to fill the entire planet with his glory. He's going to fill all. All are going to see who Jesus is. And as he fills all in all, the fullness of that is going to take place through the church, his body. That's how he chooses to reveal his glory in the entire, to the entire universe so that every heart can throb and, and beat in a way that recognizes the glorious love of Jesus Christ. That is what the head of the church is up to. That is what the mind of Christ is working in his body, and he's longing for you and I to come into unison with that. Back in Matthew chapter 20, the disciples were having a bit of a disagreement because two of the disciples came up to Jesus asking that they could have the highest place in the kingdom. Now, I want you to think about this. If you knew that you were going to have to leave your 12 disciples who were kind of bumbling, kind of made a lot of mistakes, who couldn't get along, and you were going to leave them behind, wouldn't you choose one of them to be in charge? I probably would. <laughs> I, I think that, that you would think that it would be important that, that one of them needs to, to kind of take the lead role. Yeah, he's not going to be a dictator, but he's got to kind of fill in. He's got to take the lead role. But notice what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 25. Matthew chapter 20, we'll pick it up in verse 25. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. You know that the Gentiles, they force their leadership on people. They, they exercise their control in a way that, that dictates and that forces and that the strongest becomes in power. But he says this, Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as, okay, Jesus doesn't call us to do things that he hasn't already done for us. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom. And did you see that that is, that Paul was portraying of how Jesus came to the place of position of authority that he came to? If you didn't see it clearly in Ephesians chapter 1, jump over with me to Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul uses some of the same language to describe the, the fullness of what God is longing to do. And he says this. We looked at these first couple of verses, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. How many of us receive spiritual gifts when we are connected to Christ? All of us. Each one of us receive a gift. Therefore, he says, now notice this in verse 8, he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. We talked about this in our first sermon, that Christ ascended on high so that he could give these gifts to us. But 
Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he first descended into the lower parts of the earth? So Christ could have just come and said, I am the creator, I am the God of the universe, I have all authority, and so you will let me be head of the church. But he doesn't operate like that. That's not what God is all about. God instead descended. He took the path of the servant, like Philippians 2 describes, when it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who took on the form of a man who humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death of a cross, so that he might be highly exalted, so that every tongue will confess and every knee will bow at the name of Jesus. Jesus first descended. He first took the path of humility. He first came and served, and it's through recognition of that service that everything changes for us. Paul said it back in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19, just one page over. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 19, it says this, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You see, it's this fullness that comes as a church. The fullness that Paul is saying, this is what the head of the church has in mind. That the glory of the knowledge of Jesus will fill the planet. That that your next door neighbor is going to know that Jesus is King of Kings. And that he loves him and that he died for him. Those people at work that maybe you haven't had the chance to share, it's promised that the knowledge of the Lord will fill the earth. Everyone will come to a knowledge of Jesus. That they will have the opportunity to choose Jesus. This fullness that's going to come through the body of Christ. Through us who are the body, pressing together, working together in close friendship. That this fullness that's going to come, that fullness comes through what does verse 19 tell us? As we know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, we will be filled up to the fullness of Christ. As a church, we're going to to be filled up. We're going to come to that fullness of the stature of Christ as we come to know the love of Christ, the Creator, the King of Kings, who became a baby, who humbled Himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. You know, Back in Proverbs, it says something fascinating that reveals to us that this is the most effective way for a kingdom to be established. Proverbs chapter, I believe we're going to go to chapter 10 and verse 28. It reveals how a throne is established. Proverbs is right after Psalms. I'm telling myself that as much as you. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 28. It says this, the hope of Uh, That's not it. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse. Hmm. Basically, it goes on to say, and I'll have to maybe share this with you next week, that the throne is established through love. I'm sorry, that's not the right, right verse. But the awesome thing is this, this proverb and the cool thing, let me just tell you an inside tip here for when you can't find a Bible verse like currently and I don't have the time to do this, go to Google and when you go on Google, if you type in what you think the verse might be saying, Google is the best search in, engine for the Bible. So if somebody wants to do that for me right now, I'd appreciate it. But if you, if you go and it's 
the throne will be established through loving kindness, you'll find a verse in Proverbs that tells us that this is the way that authority is established. This is the way that the throne is established. It's not established through war. It's not established through force. It's not established through exalting yourself, but it's established through love, through humble service, through emptying ourselves, through becoming a servant. That's what God said. Don't lord it over each other, but instead serve one another, just as I have come to serve you. Proverbs, what is it? 16.12. That sounds a lot better. Let's go there really fast, because this is a beautiful verse. Technology is fascinating, and it helps us in great ways. Proverbs chapter 16, and did you say verse 12? I don't think that's going to work for us either. Maybe I'm in the 16 verse 28. 2028. Okay, thank you. uh, This is fantastic. This is what we call the body working together because I don't have all the answers. A lot of times we look to the pastor as if he's the head of the church. This is an excellent illustration. And I'd like to pretend that I planned it, but I didn't. So verse 28 says this. Mercy and truth preserves the king. And by what? Loving kindness, he upholds his throne. Don't let that pass you by. It's by love that the king is able to establish his throne. I mean, this would change absolutely everything in politics, absolutely everything in every kingdom of the planet if it was really followed. That it's by love, it's by service that a king establishes his throne. But this is what the God of the universe has done in order for his glory to fill the earth. He's chosen the path of service, the path of humble love. And that's how the body of Christ will be filled with his fullness as we recognize the wonderful love of Jesus and we allow him to be the head. Back in Ephesians chapter 1 concludes with that verse about Christ filling all in all. Verse 1 of chapter 2 says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. There's a great controversy going on. And in this great controversy, there is one who we often follow his way of of living our lives, but his way is a way of force. His way is a way of inflicting authority. It's the opposite of Jesus who establishes his throne through loving kindness, who establishes his throne by coming and serving and living and dying for you and I. We can trust him as the king of kings. We can trust what he is up to. We can trust as head of the body because every part of your body moves because your brain gives it that instruction. I mean, wiggle your toes right now. Wiggle your fingers. Get a little motion. Make sure your blood is flowing this morning. Raise your, raise your arms up. It's good. That's all capable of happening, not just because of the muscles, not just because of that, but because of all that's happening up here in your head. And it's the same way as we connect with Christ. That is when the body will be effective. We talked last week about Martin Luther and how 
Martin Luther was a huge impact on the Reformation, and that's, that's something that we tend to focus on 500 years after the Reformation is, is all the writings of Martin Luther. He's the most famous of all of the, uh, the Reformers of the Protestant Reformation. But it's pretty fascinating to realize who was at work that enabled Martin Luther to come to his discoveries. You know, Christ led Martin Luther, but we might just say, well, yeah, he was a brilliant fellow who found a Bible and who read it and who realized something. But did you know that the head of the church was doing the same exact thing in other places at the same exact time? If you were to go over to Switzerland, I want to put up a picture if we can get it, of Ulrich Zwingli. Ulrich Zwingli was born just within weeks of Martin Luther. But they never came in contact with each other, even though they lived in neighboring countries. Ulrich Zwingli grew up in Switzerland. And he was going on. He actually had the same opportunity of becoming a priest and was nearly going to become a priest, whereas Martin Luther's father wasn't able to stop Martin Luther. Zwingli's father actually did stop Zwingli from becoming a priest. He said, you're not going to waste your life by becoming a priest. Zwingli began to, to, or continued studying the Bible, though, and as he was studying the Bible, he began to recognize that it is the righteousness of Christ alone that can save us, that we can't be saved by our own works. And he began to be fascinated with the Bible and to read the Bible and to pour over Scripture. And he was teaching some of the exact same things that Martin Luther was. So people actually approached him and said, you know, your writings sound a lot like Martin Luther. And he said this, I, well, I'll I'll read it to you. Never has one single word been written by me to Luther, nor by Luther to me. And why? That it might be shown how much the Spirit of God is in unison with itself, since both of us, without any collusion, teach the doctrine of Christ with such uniformity. You see, they had never had any contact, and yet they both were raised up as stars in the Reformation, both teaching the same thing, because Jesus is the one who sees his church through. Jesus is the one who's going to enable us to spread the gospel to the world, because he is the head of the church, and we can't organize well enough to finish the work, but Jesus is the head, and we can trust him to see his church through. Not only in Switzerland, but over in France, there was another individual by the name of Lefebvre who was studying the New Testament. And it says in in the book Great Controversy, page 212, it says, In 1512, before either Luther or Zwingli had begun the work of reform, Lefebvre wrote, It is God who gives us, by faith, that righteousness which by grace alone justifies to eternal life. That sound a little bit like Martin Luther? He recognized that righteousness came by faith alone. So then he goes on to say, Lefebvre undertook the translation of the New Testament and at the very time when Luther's German Bible was issuing from the press in Wittenberg, the French New Testament was published at Moix. You see how God works. He's able to raise up people at the same time. I encourage you to read in the Great Controversy, the chapter on the the Great Religious Awakening. There it talks about how when uh, William Miller was, was proclaiming about the Second Advent, 
that people were raised up in Europe. They were raised up in South America. They were raised up around the world at the same exact time to recognize the same truths. Friends, the Christ can only be the body of Christ as we look to Christ as the head. As we connect with Christ as the one who alone can give us the organization and the power to fill all things with the knowledge of the glory of God. That's what he called us to do as a church. We can't do it on our own. He's promised that he's going to send the light, that there's going to be a powerful revival that takes place, but we can never do that in our own strength. In the Desire of Ages, talking about the disciples, page 414, it says, Instead of appointing one to be their head, Christ said to the disciples, Be not ye called rabbi, neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. Matthew 23, 8. And 10. Jesus didn't appoint a head of his church. And when you see them solving discussions in Acts, they're not going to one person to say, okay, what should we do? But I have to be honest, as a pastor, I know that the temptation is to go to the pastor and to say, what should I do? But that's not how God has designed the body. He has designed for you to go straight to Jesus. I'm here to help. I'm here to point you to Jesus. I'm here to point you to the Bible. And please do come talk to me. Call me up. I'd love to sit down and pray with you and to ask that Jesus shows you what your gifts are, that he shows you how to be involved in the body, that he shows you how to reach your neighbors. I would love to go and, and study with your neighbors with you. I would love to be a part of that. But let Jesus be the head. Let Jesus be the head of his body because it is only Jesus who can finish the work. No man can ever get it done. But Jesus is working to finish the work. Ephesians chapter 4. We'll conclude with these verses in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul is describing what these gifts look like. We've looked at how he ascended on high because he had descended first so that he could give gifts to us. But verse 15 says this, But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ. As we speak the truth in love, as we press together as a church family, as we recognize our gifts, and before this it talks about evangelists, it talks about pastors, it talks about teachers that are there for the equipping of the saints for ministry, but all of this is so that we can grow up into Jesus and the love of Jesus, so that we can recognize the love of Christ, so that we can be filled up with the fullness of God, who is going to fill all things with the knowledge of His glory. Verse 16, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which each part does its share, causes growth of the body, edifying of itself in love. Friends, we come to a conclusion nearly of our series. This will be the last study guide that we go through together. Encourage you to take this study guide and go to your life group and, and through it. Or if you don't have a chance to do that, at least go through the study. It has promises about gifts that you can ask for and what to do when you don't feel gifted. It has a link to, to a survey on spiritual gifts. But more than anything, recognize this, that none of us have arrived at the place of giftedness that Christ wants us. But He wants to fill us with the fullness of God. 
He wants for his church to fill all things with the knowledge of Jesus so that Jesus can be supremely glorified among all people. In Templeton, in Paso Robles, in Atascadero, God's going to fill that place with the knowledge of the glory of God. He's going to reveal his He's going to reveal the importance of Scripture, the importance of standing on the commandments of love that He's given us. And He's going to do it through you, through His church. That's how the fullness will come to all people. And without you, it won't get done. Are we a brain-dead church? Or are we just waiting to wake up, to experience revival? Ephesians actually says that. Revive, wake up so that Christ can bring you light. That's what God is longing to do. And thankfully, as Lindy laid there on that bed, her husband telling her to fight, but they were ready literally to pull the plug. In fact, she was an organ donor and just outside the doors of that hospital room, those that were going to collect her organs for donation were already ready to come in and to harvest her organs to take them. But she heard her husband's words in her mind. You're a fighter. You're a fighter. Don't give up. And suddenly something happened through Lindy. Somehow the neurons began to reconnect. I don't know what all happened, but Lindy woke up in just the right time. And Christ is going to wake up his church. And Lindy today says, I've learned forever to be a fighter. Her, her husband is overjoyed that, that he continued to, to believe that she had life in her. And Jesus continues to believe in you and I that there is life in us. That he wants his body to come alive. And if you're longing for that life today, first of all, remember, we've got to be baptized into the body of Christ. That's how we join the body in order to be connected to the head. Second of all, remember that you can't be separated from the body and survive because your connection to the mind of Christ. You can't be disconnected and go on living. And third, remember that Christ is the head of His church. So connect with Christ. Take time in your Bible every day. Take time in prayer. Ask Him to gift you. Ask Him to fill you with the Holy Spirit because this is the only way that His church will become the place that fills things knowledge of the glory that's seen in the Jesus Christ. That's how God establishes His kingdom. It's based on love. It's based on walking out and lo- radically loving the world around us. It's based on us pressing together and learning to love this world together. Would you just bow your head with me in closing? And as we bow our heads, just want you to have a little moment with Jesus just in the silence of your own heart, just acknowledge where you're at. Maybe it's right now that you just need to see more of his love so that you could be filled up with his fullness. Or maybe today you're you're recognizing that you don't know where you fit in the body and you want to know your place. Or maybe today you're, you're just longing for more of the Holy Spirit. Just let Jesus know what you're thinking today. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you that we come directly to you. We don't go through a priest. We don't go through uh, saints, but we pray directly to Jesus. 
our great high priest, our intercessor, the head of his church. Jesus, we trust in you today. And we ask that you would gift us with your Holy Spirit, that you would invigorate and revive your body, that you would lead us to thrive in such a way that people, when they come in contact with this church, would have come in contact with you. And they would say, I know what Jesus looks like because they touched me. They cared about me. They helped me with, with the things that I was going through. And they made a difference in my life. Lord God, would you please bring your body to life, I pray. Would you pour out your Holy Spirit on us? Would you enable us to be the body of Christ as we look to you as our one and only head? In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.